Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park I think we are live. All right. So I guess we should start this off since uh, I know you were in the business world for about 15 years or maybe still are. And then you somewhere along the way, you became a life coach or a coach, I guess. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Yeah, I've been in the business world 15 plus years and started at big companies like Amazon and Microsoft and then um, did a series of uh, small startup technology based companies. So that's where I cut my teeth into leadership and management and people and everything like that. And then, yes, several years ago, I decided to become a, a certified leadership coach, executive coach. So I work with business professionals and business leaders from all around the world. So along the way, I mean, I'm guessing that leadership just was something that you were attracted to for some for a reason and you just wanted to take a deeper interest into it. Yeah. I mean, when I was young, uh, both my parents were read a lot and they were very successful and very smart. And I remember just learning about it was military leaders because my dad was into the military um, and political leaders because he was into history. And so learning about all of these people who did amazing things at key points in time. And um, to me, it was and is a noble calling and it comes with a lot of responsibility um, and it's a very fulfilling thing. And, and I see a lot of people going after boss, being the boss, being in charge for different motivations. And so to me, it's really getting the message out there that, hey, you know, go after leadership positions, but understand that you're serving the people that you're, quote unquote, in charge of. And uh, to, to, yes, keep them accountable and yes, make sure they're doing the right things, but also investing in them and and motivating them in the right way. So, yeah, I've always loved leadership in that aspect. And I've obviously been on a team and had different types of leaders. I've been someone's boss and I've coached um, leaders as well. So from all angles. Yeah. You know, just like you said, just because you're the boss doesn't really, yeah, you're a leader, but doesn't really mean you're a good or a bad leader either, I guess. And I think that was one of the false narratives I had in college where, you know, I was trying to go down this whole leadership rabbit hole and, you know, learn all the different styles of leadership. And I really didn't know what leadership formed my personality, I guess, and my strengths and my weaknesses. And so I would just think like, you know, oh, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, oh, they're big time people. I want to be them. They're leaders or whatever. And they're just making money. But it was like you said, there's all different roles of leadership, but it just never really occurred to me and really figured out how to find my own leadership. And that, you know, like you talked about serving others, like that's a type of leadership, like servant leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And like, I guess gradually through time, like, I guess expanding my horizons. I guess I should say I started to learn that, yeah, like, oh, okay, like there's more, there's more shit to this. There's a different. <laughs> well, it's also like your leadership style, right? So you mentioned something early, early in my career, like one of my very first team meetings, I was like, oh my gosh, I have a team meeting. And I listened to all these raw, raw, raw speeches on YouTube. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, so if I'm going to get in front of everyone, I got to do a raw, raw speech. And I, it was, fall on your face, disastrous. It was just like face palm. This is so horrible. Um, But at the time I was trying to do my best because that's what I thought a leader should be, that big, gregarious, outgoing. And of course, there's all different types of leaders. There's big, outgoing leaders and public speakers. There's very quiet, introverted people who are very effective. There's all, all the way in between. And so I think another thing people struggle with is I have this picture or vision of what leader leadership should be. And so I'm trying to conform myself into that mold. 
And there are literally, you have to find your own way. And if you are authentic and if you're hitting all the right marks for whatever role you're in, there's a hundred different ways to get to it. So I'm guessing that's basically what kind of what you help people with. And like, that would be one of the things I would have needed help with was just that, just like you said that, you know, if I had a, a role model, like, or a mentor, I'm not really a mentor, but I guess a role model, like, you know, Obama or the rock or somebody <laughs> who gives out raw, raw speeches and who has that, you know, extroverted type personality. I was like, okay, I got to model everything I do after these type of people. And then, you know, you think it's working, it's working. Then I think, was it maybe some beginner's luck? And then over time you hit us, a struggle or an obstacle. It's like, Oh, that doesn't really work for me. Or I cannot get my team to form around me the way those guys do. And then that's when they say, like, okay, now I need to take, hopefully take a step back and rather just keep trying to push through and try to keep making something that to work that doesn't work. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. And I remember when you said the rock, I just pictured him doing his, I think it was at the halftime or maybe it was announcing the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. is he really doing that? That's crazy. But it was. Such energy though. Yeah. So, I mean, like if you're a very quiet introverted person trying to be the rock is probably not <laughs> a good answer for you. Um, because not because, I mean, the rock is awesome. I love sure, it. Me too. <laughs> you're, you're, you're having to stretch yourself and spend so much energy being something that you're not. Exactly. And that just is like not good for you. It's not good for other people hearing it. Um, so really finding, Hey, let me find components of maybe like the rock in spirit and that brings you out of your shell a little bit so that gets you partway like take those things take those pieces that work for you and and make it all your own there's this great bruce lee quote and he's talking about you know take what works discard what doesn't and make it all your own and i love that and that's just like a life uh, a life principle you can go by but if you're crafting your leadership style look at all types of leaders and take elements of each that work for you discard the elements that don't work and then make it all your own. And that's a great, uh, a great way to go. And then on top of that, once you kind of have your general leadership style, Hey, this is, this is mine and I own it. Understand that you'll have to flex out of that in different situations. So different situations will call on, will, will call for different things. Mm. So for instance, I had a lot of clients during the pandemic who well, I signed up for, you know, running a restaurant. Now I'm trying to do all these regulations and save people's jobs and da, da, da. Um, and they had to become something else or, Hey, you know, I just got into this job and now I'm having to make these big decisions on layoffs and everything else. So the situation uh, might call for you to be, you know, to lean in a certain direction within your leadership style as well. I love that quote, by the way, I wrote that down. So I remember that because that was something that, I've learned along my life path, I guess, that I don't have to take everything that everyone's telling me and make it true or make it like, oh, I have to do 100% do this. Just take what works, throw the rest out. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what a lot of people should kind of get, you know, from other people or get from their life experiences, too. And just because that, you know, I go to conferences or my professional development stuff and that, you know, I think some people think that whatever this person's teaching about or talking about, and I'm not taking away anything away from those people, but these Generally speaking, people have to take everything that person's saying and go, you know, execute it out in the field of some sort. And it's like, well, no, I mean, just take what works for you. And then, yeah. and then I think they don't, they get, you know, like for a better word, they get butthurt because it didn't work for them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, but it's just, and then they don't understand why it's not working. And I guess, you know, they just go down this huge rabbit hole. And I don't want to say they get depressed or anything, but. They almost just discard everything. It was like, well, I don't even want to try anymore. You know, I'm, yeah. maybe being a leader is not for me. You know, is that kind of? Yeah. No, I mean, there's some, uh, take what works and also understand that if someone's telling you something and it doesn't resonate right away, it might come up years later mm. where you go, oh, that's what that person was talking about. Or, oh, I can use that now. So it's not a waste. Don't sit there and go, I've got nothing out of this. Sure. Um, or, you know, I did this whole, this person's whole leadership program and it didn't work exactly how it worked for them. Well, you know, that's because it worked for them and you got to take the pieces that work for you. But uh, that's interesting. And when you said that, it also reminded me of when people go, I got feedback. And so it must be a hundred percent true. And I go, hold on, like, hold on. No, 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 no. Like feedback from someone else is subjective. I mean, yes, if it's someone that you highly respect or, you know, you admire, then you might weight it more heavily or say, okay, that's more significant to me. But just because someone 
says something to you on social media or says something to you, hardly knows you, you don't have to automatically take that 100% all in. That's an offering to you. And again, you can take, you know, there's a kernel of truth in that. Let me take that as feedback to make myself better. But the rest of that noise, I'm just going to set down and walk away. And so with feedback and people's opinions, I think that's a great thing to keep in mind too. And, and talk about feedback and opinions. I want to get your thoughts on this because, you know, all feedback, I guess, can be good in a sense, but I think a lot of people are scared and not generally speaking again, most people are scared to give negative feedback to somebody. And I guess where I'm getting that from is like, you know, when I majored in PE in college and one of my classes, you know, we had to go teach in front of our peers and all that good stuff. And then at the end of the class, everyone would write stuff like what you did well. And they were supposed to write what you did wrong, but it was very rare that somebody <laughs> would actually tell you like, Oh, well, Hey man, you should have, you know, did it did it this way or did X this way, or you butchered this word and stuff like that. And I get that because, you know, you're around your peers and nobody, for the most part, I don't think generally people want to be monsters and hurt people. Right. So when giving that constructive feedback, I mean, you know, just to help people improve, is there a good way about going that when you have to say like, Hey, you know, instead of just, you suck, you shouldn't do this. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe you should just try it this way next time better. Is that kind of, yeah. yeah. So the the structure I like to use, that's funny. The structure I like to use is uh, it's a compliment sandwich, but let me explain this. Okay. So you say something they did well to start off with. So you're kind of easing them in and then you give the constructive feedback. Um, but you say that with, you know, a recommendation. So, hey, you know, it, when you started your introduction of that presentation, you went right into it. And I wanted to know what you were going to present about. So maybe start with an agenda next time that says, hey, you need to work on this part, but here's a recommendation. And then end with, but the best thing or my, my favorite thing about your presentation dry run was X, Y, and Z. So you start with like, hey, here's what you did well, just something you know, to throw out there. Here's the constructive feedback with a recommendation. And then you end with, but the best thing you did was this. So keep doing that next time. Yeah, no, I agree. And just, it's like one of those things that, you know, it's a false narrative that, you know, everyone thinks they can be well or do anything great all the time, which is, you know, if that's, you want to go into that, that's fine. But like, you know, starting this podcast or doing my actual full-time job and stuff, you know, I feed off, you know, that constructive criticism. I want to know what I did wrong. And, and I don't know if everyone's like that, but I know that's how I grow and that's how I learn. Cause I know I'm not perfect. And I know I put your words on here and I'll say something stupid or whatever, <laughs> but I think that, you know, that's what I asked for because in order to grow, I mean, you got to have those hard conversations and, you know, as a leader, I mean, given those hard conversations to employees or whatever you want to say, I mean, that's, I think that's the only way you're going to get the best out of your team. And not only when I see that from a leader or get that from a leader or a person in that type of position that, you know, I know they're out there just, they're not belittling me. They're actually just trying to help me into a sense. And, not everybody's like that. I think there are probably are some people who just want to see the world get set on fire or whatever, but, yeah. but yeah, no, I think, I, yeah, go ahead. I think, you're, I think you're right because people often say, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings, right? Like I don't want to be mean to someone, but you're really underserving them when you're not actually giving sure. them feedback. Like you're, you're not helping someone grow. If I'm someone's manager, my job is to give them feedback, both positive and negative. That's my job. Sure. And it helps them become a better team member and it helps them become a better person. And I'm not doing my job if I just sit there and go, bluebirds and sunshine, everything you're doing is great. You're perfect. You don't do anything wrong ever. Um, so, and again, you know, you, you talk about delivery and timing and how you say it and all those, all those good things, which, which does count. But um, I, I really appreciate when people are honest and brave enough to give me feedback, mm. uh, even when, you know, it's like, ooh, like that was a rough delivery, but you know, there is a kernel of truth in that. And I, I'll take that. Uh, another quote, I forget who said it, but, but it's uh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Mm. I mean, how are you going to get better if you just sit there and say, I'm perfect at everything? You're not like we're humans. Yeah. We're clearly not. And you mentioned like podcasting. I mean, holy expletive. If you go back and look at some of my first podcasts, train wreck, <laughs> like just, just yeah. cringeworthy. Like I keep them up on my site just because the content's decent, but the delivery is it's got awful. So I'm improving and I'm working on that all the time. Um, but you, you don't come out of the gates. pitch perfect. You have to work on it and you have to be willing to be bad at it for a period of time. 
Yeah, no, I can relate to 100% with that because, you know, mine were the same way. And so ha- some of them probably still are. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, if somebody asked me, though, why don't you take those down or something? It's like, well, no, I like seeing those because or knowing that they're there because I want people to see that I've grown along my way and that I've improved and I've tried to learn from my mistakes and that it's kind of a reminder. And it's not that, you know, I'm just trying to show that I'm perfect all the time. It's like you said, we're not we're humans. We're not, you know? So it's just like, I use it for like a little motivation and for other people to see like as motivation for themselves, you know, like when they're trying something new or, you know, like, Hey, you know, not everything you're going to do is going to be, or you touch is going to turn to gold. You know, it's just very rare that that happens, but it's a process along the way. And, and it's funny you mentioned motivation. If I find someone on YouTube, I love or a podcast I love, I'm like, man, these guys are so polished and they got their content down. I scroll all the way down to like their very first ones. And of course it's like, oh, this is different. But I'm like, thank huh? you, because that gives me hope that like you started here and you got to be really good. And, you know, it's because you did hundreds and hundreds of episodes and you just kept going. Yeah, it's one of those things I firmly believe, like what you put into something you'll get out of. So if you're just kind of half-assing it and just going about it, yeah, I mean, exactly. That's what you're going to get. But maybe there's are there's outliers out there who can just touch anything and it just becomes perfect every time they do anything you know but i think it's kind of rare it's rare and it's you know but it's all the sweeter when you have to work for it right like when you like hustle and grind and you're like i i fell flat on my face and i was embarrassed in front of people and then you get good come on that's 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 more awesome than than anything else a lot more satisfaction you're right that you know like you know you know the hours you're putting into this and the research you're doing behind the scenes and like it's like with that iceberg theory that you know everyone mm-hmm. sees like all the good stuff but they don't really see what's going on below the water and like all the you know the work and the grind and the, the stress and everything yeah there was some actor who was like i got called an overnight success but i've been in the industry for 20 years and so like yeah. i've been like getting rejected for 20 years and then this one thing happened but yeah, they don't see it. Yeah. So, I mean, going back onto the leadership thing, though, like in using that iceberg theory, though, I mean, you know, if if you work with somebody who's like me, for example, fresh out of college and just wanting to become a leader, you know, or has been like, say, a, a manager of some leadership position for like a restaurant or fast food restaurant or whatever they do. I mean, where do you start at with them? What advice do you give them? You know, how do you say like, hey, we're going to level up, bro? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, depends on the situation in yours. I mean, if you're wanting to depend on the industry you want to stay in, is it, do you want to get into like an office job? Do you want to manage people? Do you want to be out and about? Um, you know, for people out of college, I always say find an organization that aligns with your values and gives you a good experience mm-hmm. and be flexible with the experience part. So, you know, company that has good values. So they have integrity, they treat their people right, they do things the right way, they don't cut corners, et cetera. And then find a good experience. So it might be, you know, I I don't know exactly what I want to do. I know a general direction. So let me be open to the different companies or roles that I would take on, but I just want a good experience and start racking those up and start accumulating those roles and positions, whether it's an internship or an entry-level thing here or a special contract role there. Just just rack those up. Try to find a great boss because if you have someone who is willing to take the time to invest in you, show you the ropes, show you general business acumen, maybe bring you into some calls or meetings that they're in that you can listen into, that is gold. So if you can find, you know, all three of those things, great. You know, two out of the three is is good too. But um, that's the advice I'd have for people coming right out of college. And they're often, you know, Emily have a general direction, but I don't know exactly what I want to do. I say, go rack up good experiences and go try to find really good people to work with um, that you're going to be working with directly on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. Well, that's kind of basically what you did with your own self though, right? You know, you said you started gaining experience working for those big companies. And is that kind of how you yeah. softlized your leadership style, I guess? You just kind of took, we've been saying you took what works, what doesn't work and yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up right out of college. I was like, I you know, want to go into business. That's a huge category. And I kind of like technology. And so I actually, um, it was through a series of circumstances that I got the job at Amazon. And that happened to be a tester for the very first version of a Kindle device. Mm. Um, but that was confidential and no one knew what an e-reader was. And that just happened to be that. And then that led to my gig at Amazon. And then that led to a different technology company. That was a startup. So, you know, you you put these pieces in play and then you let things unfold. And one of the things that I wish someone had told me out of college was, hey, you don't have to figure everything out. Stuff will happen that you cannot conceive of right now. 
options and opportunities will happen that you can't even think of right now. Doors will open, you'll meet certain people and things will just unfold. So if you don't have it all figured out, project plan steps one through a hundred, it's fine. Just make the best next decision and then let things unfold from there. Um, but when you're in these, when you're in these positions, watch people, watch all the people around you, watch the people that are your peers, watch your bosses, notice what you like about certain bosses and what you don't like. Cause when you're in that leadership position one day, understand you're going to be that person to someone else. So all of this is data gathering. And again, get into some experiences and rack those up. I, you know, there's, there's kind of two, two from the time I'm five and down check. Can you still hear me? I got it. Yep. Yeah. You cut out for a second, but now you're back. Okay. We can cut that part out. So <laughs> there's, there's, two general types of people that's outlined in this great book called Hannibal and Me, but I'll summarize it quickly. There's people who know exactly what they want to do from when they're very little and they go straight on that path. And then you have people who don't know what they want to do and they're called wanderers. So the first, first type is dreamers. They have a dream and they go straight after it. The second type is wanderers who don't really know what they want to do and, and rack up experiences. And there's pros and cons to both. Uh, the the dreamers, you know, they get to their goal very quickly. They're single-minded. All the decisions are easy because it's pointed at this one thing. But once they get there, they go, is this it? Mm. And they say, have I accomplished all that I've, I'm going to do? I've accomplished my dream, usually pretty young. And now what's left of my life? And the wanderers have, they deal with self-doubt and am I good enough? And I don't have a purpose, but they're gaining a whole bunch of wide ranging experiences. And then they find themselves in positions where all of their previous experience comes to the fore and comes to their advantage and they're put in a position. So they have Harry Truman as an example of a wanderer. He was a failed haberdasher, which is a hat shop. And he was a failed business person and did this and that and fell into politics. And he became the president of the United States at a very key point in time. But all of his experience helped him in that role and made him the president that he was. And so all by way of saying, go into each experience and really soak the most you can out of it. So you might go, I don't know what I'm doing here. It's an internship. I'm trying to just find a job. It does the bills. Just soak up as much of that experience and notice the people around you and notice the things happening around you because you don't know what that's going to give you in the future. Mm. You said that book's called Hannibal and Me? Hannibal and me. Yeah. It's one uh, of my ten books for leaders. I just wrote it down on my, my list yeah. of books I need to get, but you know, touching on what you said and, you know, and I don't know how old you are, but that's my point. I mean, you seem pretty close to my age, but do you think that younger generations have more trouble knowing what they are or what they want to be? And why is that? You know, and I guess that's because, you know, I work in higher education and, and I don't know if it's just the, the narrative behind young people where, you know, they're just like, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my life, you know, and, you know, like, for example, I'm 36. And, you know, when I'm having regular conversations, when I'm out for dinner and drinks or whatever, people, you know, in their 40s and stuff like, I don't want to, I don't know what I want to do with my life, you know, and, and I was like, well, that's not entirely true, because you did find a way. But I mean, do you, but I guess what I'm asking is that, you know, younger generations, do you seem it more, do you seem now that it's more that people don't know what they want to do compared to, I guess, older days? Example. I think in older days, it was the, the options seemed less to me. It was kind of like, hey, if your town does this, then I'm going to do that. If my dad did this, then I'm going to do that. And there, there was a little bit of more of that. Now it's it's good and bad. It's good because you can pretty much do anything. I mean, you have a lot more opportunities than if you're in a small podunk town in the 50s. And it's like, I'm going to be a coal miner or I have to be, you know, this type of profession because that's what this town does. My mom worked. My mom grew up in a town where everyone was coal miners. Um and now it's like, you could be a TikTok star. You could go on, uh, you know, Twitch and earn a living there. Like you could do all these different things that weren't even possibilities. Uh, and you can do things remotely now. And so I think the options are far greater, which is a good thing, but also a bad thing because you have so many choices, you get overwhelmed. Like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, so, yeah, I think there is, I, I do, the people that I speak with just out of college, sometimes you do get that angsty, you know, I I don't quite know where to land. And as I said, just pick a direction and go. But uh, some people, I see a lot of young people, 
uh, interested in social justice. So they have a cause they really care about. And so they want to get into that, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just start start in that direction. But yes, it's definitely different from our parents' time. Uh, I mean, like somebody asked me that a couple of days ago, and I kind of, I basically said the same thing that it's almost information overload on younger generations. And I even, even with me, I mean, that's personally speaking too, just because, you know, there's so much information we're gathering, you know, as far as, you know, podcasts, you know, TV, news, radio, uh, you know, regular conversations you're having at work or wherever and friends and family. But, and then, you know, with that said that, you know, you start to go down one road and you're like, oh, wait, let me try this out. Oh, wait, that didn't work. Let me try this one out. And like, it's really hard. To, and again, personally speaking, it's hard to stay on a straight path, it seems like, because there's so many ways to, you know, find new areas to explore and try to find out what you really are passionate about in life and what you want to do with your life. And but it's like you said that, you know, then you say, oh, I want to be, you know, I've talked to a couple of lawyers on here and just that, there's like, oh, this is not where I thought I was. I wanted to be with my life. I'm not happy. So I want to go try something new. And and it works out for him in the end. But, you know, and it's hard to even say, like, you know, a person who wants to go work a regular nine to five. And then, like you said, I want to go be a TikTok star and start dancing for a living and see where that takes me, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. And I, I wonder if that's just because, like, social media, information overload, that this younger generations don't really have an idea just because of that. Those things. Well, are- I mean, you used to work at a company, one company your entire life. Like you would get in with like GE and you would work 50 years, get a gold watch and retire. Like that's just how, that's just how it went. And now, you know, seeing someone be at a job for six, seven, eight, nine years is pretty rare, actually. So they, you know, go between companies and, you know, if certain people, I've had clients who get in a profession and they got in it because that's what parents or society expected of them, doctors. And they're like, I don't want to be a doctor. And we talk about what would it look like if you changed career paths? Um, and, and that happens too. So I think people do have a lot more, uh, a lot more options today for sure. Yeah. That's a good point too, because, you know, most people I thought, you know, even growing up, it's like, you know, most of my family and stuff like, Oh, they put in their 20, 30 years, finish off, retire. And they're like, Oh, we're done here. But, and then maybe that was just because they didn't like change. Maybe it was because they just got set in their ways and there was like, I'm happy or whatever. But most people seem to, only takes jobs just because it was the first thing they kind of fell into. Like you're talking about opportunities and stuff. And then they stay with it because either they start buying a house, have a family, then they plant roots and like, well, I can't really move now and get up. But, you know, and I don't know if it's because older people seem to, or not older people, but younger people seem to be not doing that much anymore. I mean, I can't remember what statistics I was reading, but you know, people are getting married later in life. People are having kids later in life. And just because they're more focused on their careers or maybe they're just trying to, you know, make a better life from, I don't know, whatever they want to, obviously they make a better life, I guess, but. I mean, it's a generational thing too, right? Like baby boomers. I mean, they, their parents lived through a world war. You're not going to complain about too much. We're very, very soft in that sense. And, and, you know, like I look at some of these kids and I'm like, you gotta, you gotta just be strong and, um, and get in there. And, and right now I think it was, you know, industrial, emphasis before like making the making the stuff for, for the war effort and all those factories and and punching in punching out and now we've moved to i think a very experience driven world so like your life experience the quality of your life is is emphasized and so when you switch from from one focus in a culture to another people's attitudes and people's decisions and behaviors will change along with that so, I mean, I, I remember my, um, you know, my grandparents had to ration their food. And to me, that's just such a foreign concept. I'm like, you couldn't have like protein or meat, or you only got this amount of, you know, stuff to drink. And it's just such a, a such a foreign thing. Um, so we just live in a very different world. And I think the job market and people's attitudes towards where do I stay and what's my quality of, of life at this job? And what's my quality of life overall? And what do I want is just, is just different well do you also think that you know they somebody starts a job and like you said it's rare if they're there for eight to nine years now but it's just so easy to to say all right well i don't really like this job i'll just go find another one if i have to move whatever no big deal i mean and i don't even know really what the job market's like now even looking for other jobs i mean obviously you know like obviously when i go through town fast food places are always hiring and stuff like that but as far as actually i guess a career driven job i mean i feel like it's just be 
I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it's a case by case basis, but it's really harder for a person just to say, well, I didn't like, you know, what happened today. I'm just going to go leave and find a new job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where it's going. Yeah, it's definitely easier today. And I think uh, it depends on the job, job market at the time, of course, but um, a lot of people get their biggest pay bumps. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. by moving companies. So, you know, if you're staying with a company, maybe you get five, 10%, maybe 15, if you, if you get a big promotion, but if you jump companies, if you jump companies, then, uh, you know, you could be looking at 20, 30 plus in some cases, and that's, that could be meaningful. So taking this back to this leadership type styles though, you know, let's say, you know, you go into one of these jobs and you decide that you don't like your boss or whatever. And, and, you know, like you were talking about there you're learning from what they're doing you know, you're writing things down, you're observing. But, you know, one question I got, I forget right if this was one of my first full-time jobs or which job I, it was one of the interview questions. I can't remember it was younger, but they asked me, you know, should a leader be feared or liked, you know? And I was like, Hmm, I mean, that's a good question. And I didn't really have a good answer for that at the time because it was the first time I've ever asked that. And I think I just basically just kind of just rode the fence. And I was like, well, you don't want to be, you don't want to fear them because, you know, what type of work is actually getting done if you're scared of your own boss, but you don't want to like them to a certain extent because you don't want to become too friendly and be seen as the, uh, you know, the class pet, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I remember Steve Carell in the office answered, and I think he answered it. I want them to fear how much they like me. <laughs> oh, I love that answer. <laughs> So if anyone asks me that ever, I'm going to give that answer. I'm going to try to keep a straight face. I love um, it. <laughs> but I think your answer was a good one. My And what you were going at was you want to be respected. So fear, like, I want to be respected. If people respect you, they'll follow you. Mm-hmm. And you can disagree with someone you, dis- you respect. Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want someone to um, fear me when I walk down the hall or when I, you know, talk to them. That's not, that's not the point of being a leader. I think knowing that, um, a leader will keep you accountable Mm -hmm. is a good thing actually. And I think knowing that a leader likes you in the sense that they want what's best for you goes a long way. Cause if you feel that someone, she, she wants what's best for me, she wants what's good for me. And that could include, telling me the truth and giving me constructive feedback that could, that could include saying, Hey, like, I don't think we met the mark here. I think you need to step up, but they, they have my best interest at heart. So I think being respected and uh, having that as the kind of the, the goalpost is a good one for that question. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, yeah, if you're respected, I, you get so much more out of your, your employees and your team and just the quality of work. But yeah, I mean, anybody, like you said, you don't, I don't, walking down the hall, I don't want people to fear me at all and like be afraid to like hide their face and talk to me. I mean, it seems, I don't know, I guess some people get off on that and maybe they I'm, do. yeah, just they won't, I don't they know do. if it's like a power thing or like a tribal power primal mentality where just, hey, I'm the big person here, everybody bow down to me and like, you know, they can't leave their ego at the door or whatever. Cause, you know, I, I even saw that growing up where, people would step into a manager managerial position of some sort. And this is not, you know, any full-time actually career job, but it's just like when I was working at Walmart during college and young kids getting these, you know, hey, you're the supervisor now of the department, make a power trip. It's like, man, calm down, bro. You know, like tell us, <laughs> go take a break. And, like Walmart, yeah. and, and, and maybe to their defense that they were actually just trying to be a good leader. And that's what they knew how they had to do is just like basically run a tight ship. But you know, that doesn't work for everybody. 
especially like me, you know, I'm I'm one of those people, if you try to start telling me what to do and how to do it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even matter if I've done it a hundred times, I'm done, you know? Yeah, it results in a bad answer for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> Someone tells what to do. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it's also like, you know, you, you got to establish your leadership style. And then you also have to be curious about the person you're talking to and say, what makes them tick? And like, what makes them, you know, want to rise to the occasion and step up versus, you know, punch me in the face or cower back or, you know, do whatever. So, and that's going to be different for each person on your team. So not everyone is going to be motivated by what you're motivated by. Not everyone is going to want what you want or be scared of what you're scared of. And so you have to unpack people and be curious about them and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a good leader. um, And I know what I'm about, but I also am interested in you and I'm going to flex my leadership style to what's going to be most effective to you as well. Hmm. Yeah. Then also, you know, when people need to have those, I guess, I don't want to say talking to's, but you know, when somebody messes up or instead of calling somebody out in front of the whole team that, you know, yeah, you got to go take them to the side. Right. You know, cause I've seen that actually too. And it's like, damn, I mean, <laughs> gonna do, yeah. gonna, I mean, yeah, you, I don't know if they try to make an example of that person one time. And I was like, that don't seem like a good way to do it. And you're not only you know, belittling, belittling them in public, but in front of their coworkers as well. And it's just that person ended up quitting again. It's just like, what are you doing, bro? I mean, it, yeah. Praise in public and give feedback in private. Yeah, that's there you go. Praise in public, feedback in public or in private. I like that. Cool. So, as your leadership path or whatever, I mean, you know, talking about, you know, we've been talking about who kind of motivated us, like who, where do you get our styles from? I mean, who are the people that you were looking up to along the way, or did you? Um, you know, my parents. First of all, they're both business people, very successful. They did things the right way. They treated people the right way. Um. And they got rewarded for it. Not the fastest, by the way. Mm. They they it, people cut corners and got to certain places faster, but in the long run, they did well. So that was a huge lesson for me early on. Um, I was very lucky to have some really great mentors early in my career, and I look back and I'm like, ooh, that was a lucky timing situation. But I I had someone who you know when I was a not an entry level person, but like a lead, so one step up from entry level. Sure. And this, this, you know, high level executive took an interest in me and said, Hey, Emily, you know, that you could run a team one day. And at the time that was so far away. That was not in my head. That was like, Emily, you could drive to Pluto one day. Like, great, cool. Um, it was just a foreign concept, but because he said it and because he was seasoned and he knew what he was talking about, I thought, oh, like maybe, like maybe I could do it. And it planted that seed. Um, and so I always, uh, always think back to him and that one little offhanded saying he he did change the trajectory of my thinking and then my career and then my life. Um, so that that's someone that I look up to and I try to pay that forward today and and call people aside and say, hey, you know, you could, you're really good and you're, you're strong in this area, keep going um, type of thing. And then there's just, you know, um, Presidents Abraham Lincoln, I love studying him. He's just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, in modern day, Jacinda Ardern, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, she's the first woman Prime Minister. Uh, but she, in her in her in her uh, tenure so far, she's had to deal with you know a, a mass shooting, a natural disaster, um, political the normal political stuff, uh, and she's just done that with such empathy and strength. Um, and I just love that combination. And she just does it so naturally. And she's been on like the Colbert show and it's just like super personable, like, oh my gosh, like I could see this person, you know, at the supermarket and strike up a conversation. Yet she's like the prime minister of New Zealand. So um, she's someone that I watch just, just because she does it so effortlessly, effortlessly. And she's so smart and driven and ambitious, but also uh, so personable and just so down to earth and likable. So one of those things that she probably just works hard, stay humble kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, she doesn't even work hard to do it. She just is. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've just, I'm, I'm waiting for her to get out of office and then write a book one day. Cause it's going to be interesting how she, how, how she tells her story. Well, speaking of books, we haven't talked about yours yet. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So for those who don't know, you have a book, but so 
When did you decide to write your book? Well, I mean, when did this like occur? Like, was this during your 15 years as a business or 15 plus years, I should say? Or did you just like, I'm going to write a book now? Yeah, it was one of those one day things. Like one day I'll get to that. But it was so daunting. I didn't know how to write a book. I was like, who am I to be an author? Right. But during COVID, during COVID lockdown, I had so much time. And I was like, I need to make this productive because I'm going fat crap crazy. Um, and so I decided to, <laughs> to research it and figure out how to do it. And I found a boutique publisher who helped me through it. But yes, it is a culmination, combination of uh, experiences and lessons from business world and then also from my coaching. And it's in a, it's distilled down into easy to read kind of bullet point, pack the punch um, in there. But the frameworks and tools that you can apply to different situations um, are in there. So hacking executive leadership is is what it's called. And yeah, COVID, COVID made that happen. It accelerated that process for sure. So just one of the pros of COVID, it actually decided you like, hey, I want to do something. I want to do something. Yeah, cool. yeah. very small silver lining of, of COVID. But but yes, uh, it was, um, you know, I think one of the lessons I tell people is you don't understand. I did not think of myself as an author and writing a book that was far, far away. And I did it. And if you, most people have a book in them, just so just sidebar on that. Most people have a book in them. They've got some, you know, experience or knowledge that could be a, even a hundred page book or a shook, like a short book. And sure. then some, <laughs> and then some people, uh, some people have just like, just write a small autobiography for your kids or your family. Like people want to know about that. And it's so interesting that, you know, get that down on paper and, and your kids or grandkids could read it one day and get a lot out of that. Do you think, right. Yeah. Do you think writing that book is probably one of the hardest challenges you've done lately? Because I'm yeah. the same way I hate writing and I'll try to make myself at least keep a journal, but and that's like <laughs> once or twice a week. And, you know, that's only like a page, but it takes everything I have. To make <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know if it's just because it's I feel like it's boring or it's taking something away from other things I could be doing at the same time. I don't know, but that seems like a really huge challenge. For, that would be a huge challenge for me. I distinctly remember my first writing session where I had nothing written. And I just see that cursor blinking on the computer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to write a book. And you just have to start writing and getting it all out there. And then that was a crazy process. And I can talk about how I did that if you want. But also the editing process, you know, I edited papers in school and I was like, you do a couple edits and look through it and go away from it, come back to it, look again. This was months long and like the publishers and the editors and the rounds and the formatting and the da da da. I was like, I didn't know you could edit this much, um, but apparently you can. So that was an eye opening experience as well. But I would say, again, it was a struggle. But once I had that draft book in my hands, it felt so good because it was just like I climbed the mountain. I thought I couldn't do it a whole bunch of times. I felt like giving up and now I did it. And it was an accomplishment and it was all the sweeter for it. So yeah, huge ordeal. Not it was a character building experience for me. And um if I ever write a, another one, it'll be a lot easier because I know what to expect. Um but uh it was well worth it. Well worth it. Have you read uh the book War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? Do you know what I'm talking about? I've read the art of war. Wait, wait, no, not the art of war. Yeah, not who, who, who's the author of the art of war? Zoom. Uh, uh, the famous son. I'm gonna mispronounce yeah, his name. Not, the, yeah, the famous I, one. Yeah. That's why I've been wanting to say because I was. Yeah. Yeah, I've read that one too. Yeah, there you go. That's about right. Sure. Yeah, it's okay. But really? no, uh, the war. I think it's yeah, it's a war of art. Yeah. Well, that's why I need a fact checker on here right now. But anyway, uh, by Stephen Pressfield, and if I if I butcher that title, I'm sorry, folks. But the whole sense of the book is actually talking about kind of what you just said that. If you really want to do something as far as writing or I don't know, we'll just use that as an example that just sit down, you know, try to block out all the other mechanisms and just start writing. And it doesn't matter if it's dog shit or if it's good stuff you're writing that he calls it the muse. And like the more you write, the more you just kind of start focusing that the muse will start to come to you. Yeah, You actually start to make magic happen as you just start to you know, work. And it's just like, yeah. do the work, just start doing it. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. If you really want to do it, just do it. And eventually it just, it just happens, you know? And just like when you said, you just sat there blinking or watched that blinking cursor, not knowing what was going on, that kind of, that reminded me of it. And I was like, well, maybe that's just, you know, that's kind yeah. of what I started myself to. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. I love that because that's my experience writing. I would for a month, I like blocked off a month and I was like, I'm going to do this. So I woke up every morning really early. I took a walk around the block, like listen to 
upbeat music. And then I sat in a very specific spot. So I didn't have any distractions. And I was like, you are going to write 10,000 words and just start writing. It doesn't have to be a sentence structure, maybe some nouns and verbs in a sentence to just like get everything out there, like fingers flying, everything. And once I hit 10,000, I could stop and it could be really good writing or really, really bad writing, but that didn't matter. Just get it out on paper. And then after a month, I had, you know, enough words where like, okay, this is the basis of my book. It's ugly and it's this big glob of stuff, but it's all the things that I want out on my brain. And then you go through and you distill it down and you edit it and you reformat it and you resequence it and everything like that. But yeah, I, I agree with that. And I've heard from so many actual authors and proper writers that if you want to be a good writer, guess what you have to do? Write every day. (laughs) Yeah. I've, follow a couple of people. Yeah, I follow them, but you know, I've listened to them on their podcast and they talk about when they're actually writing anything. They use computer where, you know, they turn off the Wi-Fi, they leave with their phones in the other room and they just have like the least distractions that you can have. And that way their mind won't go to, Oh, let me mindlessly scroll through Instagram. Then, you know, 30 minutes later, they still haven't done anything. And it's just like, uh, so that's one of the keys. Like when I start doing my journals and stuff, it's like, yeah, I want to listen to music while I do it or something, but I can't because I instantly, I have one of those mods. I was like, Oh, what's going on over here? Let me check this well, out. Yeah. And it's just like, well, all right, that didn't work out. But it's one of those things that you just got to have that self-discipline, I think. And like, okay, we're going to do this. Like you said, 10,000 words. I mean, that's a lot, but yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to do something here. You, if that works for you, that works, but that's the only way you're going to get it done. And I like that advice. Like you said, if you want to write, like writer said, if you want to write to start writing. Yeah. And on the flip side, like too, you can do mini goals. Like I had people like, I want to, I, I, there's so much I want to study and know more about. And I wish I was a better reader. And so you go, well, if you want to read more, like read, and then I don't have time. And so you make a mini goal. Yeah. And what that can look like is, okay, Chris, you want to read, read one page a day. Can you read one page a day? And you go, yeah, I can read one page a day. All day. So that's your goal. And if you read one page a day, you meet your goal. Like you get the gold star, you get the check mark, you get to cross it off your whatever. But most often you might read two or three or four or five pages. Sure. And so you've actually gone over. But even if you read one, you've met your goal. And so if people build mini habits like that um, and stick with it, then they can build that habit and they can build that as just part of something they do. Yeah, James Clear talks about that in Atomic yeah. Habits. Yeah. And yeah. But that was one of my goals. Like, you know, I can't remember when, but a few years back, I made it a thing that oh, I want to try to start reading. You know, I want to make it a thing for me because it never was a thing for me. And I started off with like, all right, I'll just read a couple of pages. And then it got to, and this is where I'm at now. Like, I was just like, I only do a chapter a day, you know, and I'm an audio book guy. So it's like, hey, I want to do a, a, listen to a chapter a day. That's all I got to do. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 50 pages or it's, you know, 25 pages. So, I got my chapter in. I feel accomplished. So, and then I just, yeah. I've, I've just kept that going and it works for me. And that way it's like, okay, it took 15 minutes, you know, it took 30 minutes. I can spend 30 minutes, you know, like walking my dogs as I listen to this book or something. Plus, you know, I feel like I'm knocking out two things at once. I'm just, not, <laughs> and that's what helps me out. Like I can do like multiple things as, I was, as I'm listening. So. For sure. And if you do that for a year, you're going to be one smart dude. So yeah. Uh, that was a, well, I don't know about smart dude, but it's just one of those things that, you know, I, growing up and even now everyone's like oh no it's just power you need to read more and stuff and that you know and i really got into listening to more podcasts because mm-hmm. you know you can almost get kind of the same gist of everything but in like only an hour form and and plus you know you get to hear other cool conversations that they do in their spare time or other obstacles that they took that you don't get from the book mm-hmm. and actually no you actually get to know the person that wrote the book rather than just thinking it was just you know, some Albert Einstein guy sitting in his corner writing all day long and like, oh, he must be one smart cookie. It's like, it's like no, he's actually a person. He's actually just another person, you know, or he or she is just another person. But yeah. that that's like one of my best efficiency hacks is AirPods plus Audible and then podcast. Like when I discovered that and put those things together, you know, when I wake up in the morning as I'm getting ready, when I'm driving somewhere, when I'm traveling, when I'm doing errands on the weekends, I consume so much information. And it's, it's amazing. So Audible is great. It has great courses, like, like the, the series, great courses. And those are university lecture series, half an hour, like half an hour, of course. And if you put them on two times speed, you get done in 15 minutes. Like those are gold. And then I use Overcast for 
um, my podcast, they, those go on, you know, two times speed, but they also have something called smart speed, which just condenses the silences. And so above going two times speed, you can do smart speed. And I've literally, it tracks it. I've literally saved months and months of time uh, doing that. So yeah, I love Look it. that right there. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not affiliated with them at all. <laughs> I just love it. That's how I consume my information. But yeah, I mean, speaking of consuming information, you know, I'm currently training for a half marathon. And that's one thing I've been doing as I run is like I listen to podcasts, you know, and, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with music by any means. But, you know, I can see music as a drug. It gives you this other sense of like a boost. But I don't know, for some reason, podcasts work for me. And I've had other people like, wait, you're a psycho. What are you doing? Listen to podcasts. Like, How do you do that? It's like, I don't know. It just makes sense to me. You know, I can just it takes away. I'm listening to what they're saying as to, I guess, to. How I'm actually feeling or breathing at the time or mentally speaking when I'm running, you know, I don't know. Or maybe it's just another way, like I said, to knock out two, you know, with two birds with one stone. So, yeah. yeah, I can, I have to have music when I'm doing like leg day, but if I'm doing like cardio or just walking on the block, I'll do podcasts. So when you were writing your book, was there a main focus that you had that you're like, okay, I want to make sure I get this point across to the readers. I want to make sure that they see this as foremost in anything else. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about, so my initial brainstorming process was um, writing everything I could think of that could possibly even potentially be in the book on a sticky note. And then I just like write a quick note, write a quick sentence, put it on a sticky note. And then I looked at all of them at once and like did a beautiful mind kind of exercise what comes out. And then I put them in categories Mm. and said, okay, these are kind of like the same theme or pattern or talking about generally the same topic over here. And then those categories became sections or chapters in my book. And, you know, I, I distilled that down into, okay, what frameworks do I want to get across? So what frameworks have I seen work over and over again in business and in coaching that have helped people um, in different ways. And so those were the things I wanted to get across. It wasn't necessarily a, here's like the answer to this specific question that I have been through. It's more, here's the structure and framework and tool you can use and apply to different situations that you might have um, in this area. So that's that was the main point or the main focus I wanted to get across is those frameworks and tools. Do you have a like set framework or one that you go to the most that people should know first, or was it just kind of a mixture? Like you said, this depends on the case back or the scenario. I mean, it just depends. I mean, I can give you an example. So one is called three circles and that's some, some uh, a way to make uh, decisions. And so circle one plus circle two equals circle three. And circle one is an external event that happens to you or comes or comes to you. So that could be you're in a team meeting and maybe you're leading a team meeting and all of a sudden, you know, Emily goes crazy and starts yelling and getting angry and derailing the meeting. It's like, okay, so that's circle one. And then you actually skip to circle three and you say, what's my desired outcome? What do I want to have happen in this situation? So maybe it's, okay, I want to acknowledge Emily and then get the meeting back on track um, and get people focused. And so then you backtrack and reverse engineer into circle two and say, what do I need to say or not say? What do I need to do or not do? to try to get to circle three. So it might be, I feel like yelling back and saying, hey, like we've been over this 12 times. Why are you doing this right now? This is this is total BS, but that's not gonna get you to your ideal outcome. That's not gonna get you to circle three. What you wanna do is say, hey, Emily, like I know that this project's really important to you. We actually have that on the agenda to talk about um, in our budget allocation portion of this meeting. Uh, let's definitely talk about that then with the group something like that. And that gets you better likelihood to get to circle three. So that's like a framework. So, it, you know, you can use that in a multiple uh, different scenarios. You can use it as a reaction to something that's happened, or you can use it proactively and say, hey, I have a goal. Um, you know, maybe I'm going into this team meeting and I want people to get this out of it. And so therefore I need to prep these types of things as mm -hmm. I'm going into it. So that's like an example of a framework. That's not a a specific sure. thing, but something you can use in different situations, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I mean, does that kind of coincide with one's tone of voice or one's body language from that meeting? Just because, you know, body language, you know, what is it? I forget the stupid quote or whatever it means, but you know, you people read a lot more from a person's body language than what they're actually saying from their mouth. And, and then I guess what I'm getting at is because like, when sometimes you start to get a little upset at a meeting or, you know, you're upset at, 
you know, uh, you know, I guess Emily over here. And then you're like, you just, you say, you, you don't really mean how it's coming out, but the way somebody else would hear it, it's, it's like, for example, it's like, you know, like I didn't say that or like, yeah. like that. It's just like, you know, instead of just saying like, I didn't say that, you yeah. know, and like, you just like, Oh, this whole meeting just went astray just because of what I said right there. You know, body language counts for, I've heard up to 80%. Yeah. And I've heard the content of what you're actually saying can be as low as like 1%, usually yeah. it's like five to 10, but even five to 10. And, and if someone's saying you're saying something with your words, but your body language is telling me something else, they're going to believe your body language. So if those two things are incongruent, they're going to believe your body language. So it might be like, if I were to look at you and say like, Chris, you're doing a really good job. It's like, wait a minute, that's confusing because it doesn't make sense. I'm wagging my finger in your face and I'm yelling at you. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And the reverse is, is true too. Um, the, the, <laughs> the My favorite one, but not because it's a good one, is when people like, calm down. And it's like, oh, you're like freaking me out. So you can't demand that someone calm down. You have to show them uh, show them how to be calm. So yeah, body language is huge. And you know, people take their cues off that big time. So if you're a leader or if you're in any situation or just conversation where you want to convey something, make sure what you're saying and how you're saying it and your body language all lines up. That's one thing I've learned. I don't know if I guess I learned it through podcasting or just trying to be more observant. But, you know, when I'm having these conversations and talking to people and, you know, I'm watching and I guess it's also differentiates between a screen and what's actually in person, because I guess it I guess there's an argument there just, you know, how is, can you actually read a person through a screen or something? But, you know, what like I said, when I'm doing these that, you know, I noticed like if somebody's sitting up like this, like, ooh, they seem to be really into it. But then if there's just kind of like way back here, doing, way back there. Eh, it's like, I don't think this person's enjoying this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you know, in person though, you know, you know, I, work, I think I told you I work in higher education. So when we were doing our team meetings and stuff, you, know, I kind of noticed the same, like looking around our table, like who's really into it and who's really not. And of course, maybe they are really into it. That's just how they're comfortable. That's but, resting place, yeah. yeah. But for the <laughs> most part, it's just like, I don't think they want to be here right now because I'm probably one of those people that I don't want to be there. So, so. Yeah. you think there's a speaking of meetings, do you think there's a lot to get out of meetings because you know you always see those memes and stuff where it's just like you know oh went to another meeting that could have been done with an email email yeah yeah my big thing is some things you just have to talk about it's just easier to get on a phone or get on a zoom versus going back and forth in an email but that meeting can be five minutes and then you let people go yeah. i've been in so many meetings where it's you know you you block out 60 minutes or 30 minutes and people think they have to use that entire time you don't People, you don't, you can let people go early. So I was notorious in a good way for like, hey, we need to jump on this call. Here's what this call is about. We got it. Thanks, oh. everybody. Give you back your time. And everyone was like, yes, we love meetings with Emily because I'm not there to waste people's time or just take up the allotted time. So meetings can be important when it's just, you know, something that's easier for everyone to talk about really quick, but they don't have to be these long, arduous baton death marking. <laughs> You know, and touching on that, that uh, it just triggered in my head that, you know, every during the summer we would have these retreats. Right. And it was literally for our team just to go upstairs to the conference room and <laughs> <laughs> have a retreat. We all know everybody. And sometimes they would bring in a guest speaker or whatever. So, but you now whoever's leading the meeting would make us do a stupid icebreaker. <laughs> and I was like, are you like, I was instantly once I heard the word icebreaker, I was immediately like, please just let me go throw myself down the stairs. <laughs> just because it's like, we know everybody here. What are we doing? And I get it. You know, I get why the importance of an icebreaker and what they were trying to accomplish, but it was like, come on. Like, I just thought, <laughs> like, I don't know. For me, it was just like, is there really a reasoning? importance for this but you know and i guess what i'm getting at is like i think there is a time and place for that but not just because you have to do it and just where everybody already knows everybody but yeah in certain areas where maybe you are the new person into the the team and you are the leader and you actually the best way to actually kind of find an, um a relative relative a relatable interest in somebody you know yeah i've i've seen icebreakers go really well and really really wrong uh, so you got to use those carefully <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, Emily. So I know we're getting kind of kind of short on here. But um, if people want to find you, if they want to find a book or anything you want to plug, feel free to do that. 
<laughs> yeah, well, certainly the book is called Hacking Executive Leadership, and it's got lots of good frameworks and actionable tips for people. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I definitely recommend you check it out. It's on Amazon. There's an Audible version because I know people are busy, not a Kindle version. Um, it, you can find me on Twitter at Next Level Emily. And then if you want some free resources, I have some downloadable PDFs on my website, which is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. Sweet. Well, Emily, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Chris. Okay, we're going, people. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.